Hello there, this is A.D. Robles, and you're listening to A.D. on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. All right, well, today we have an episode that's kind of inspired by a cross-politic episode that I watched recently. If you haven't watched it, this episode is is really, really good. The the brothers at CrossPolitik are are interviewing a guy named Mark Charles. Mark Charles is a uh, a Native American um, professed believer. And he, what they're what they're interviewing him about is that he thinks the biggest heresy that the church has ever adopted is the the heresy of having a Christian nation, having a Christian empire. So the idea that you could have a Christian nation is actually a heresy to this guy Mark Charles, and it's a super interesting conversation. How he squares it, he spoiler alert, he doesn't square it. it it's just. There are so many epic moments in this conversation because the brothers bring scripture and good theology to bear upon him, and there's just so many times where his mouth is just shut. He has no answers for them about why it would, how in the world it would be actually a problem uh, if we had a Christian nation, if we had Christian leaders who were implementing Christian law. Um, I... <laughs> I know there are a lot of people out there that believe this exact thing. Um, I think it's preposterous, but but anyway, this episode is kind of inspired by that. And and actually, the other thing it's inspired is by is I did a a YouTube video, and the YouTube video was called "How Are We to Love One Another?" And in the video, I said that love, according to John chapter or Second John, I believe it is, love is keeping the commandments. In other words, if you want to know if you're loving someone, are you treating them according to how the commandments of God say you should treat them? And in the video, I made the comment that a lot of people had an issue with where I said, look, if you're a civil magistrate, if you're a judge, if you're a king, if you're a jury, something like that, and someone gets convicted of rape and um, you want to know if you're doing the loving thing, if you're if you're loving your neighbor as yourself, well, that rapist that's convicted on the evidence of two or more witnesses, that rapist should be given the death penalty. And if you don't give that rapist the death penalty for raping somebody, then you are not loving your neighbor as yourself because the commandments of God say that if a rapist is convicted, that they should be executed swiftly. And so a lot of people had a problem with that because it doesn't really feel loving. And actually, that's the whole point of the video, right? The whole point of the video is that you can't trust your feelings. All Reformed Christians should know this, right? You can't trust your feelings to tell you what's good and what's bad. You can't trust your emotions to guide you into what's good and what's bad. It's actually the law of God. It's actually the law of God that tells us what's what. So whether or not it feels loving to say rapists should be given the death penalty We can have different opinions on that. You might ask one person, they say, oh yeah, that feels loving to me. Another person might say, well, that doesn't feel loving to me. Well, that actually doesn't, it's irrelevant. Your affections, your feelings, your emotions, they don't, they're not the guide to show us what's loving. The scripture is. And so people push back on this and they said, well, so there's a few problems with that. So the first problem I'm going to, I'm going to address comes from a troll. Now, I usually don't respond to trolls, but um, this, this particular comment by this troll um, actually is a legitimate question. I think a lot of people that aren't trolls would have the same question, and I do want to address it. This troll said this uh, on my YouTube comments. So, you, know, you don't read my YouTube comments. I don't blame you. YouTube comments are 
a cesspool a lot of the time. Um, but I've got some great commenters. I, I appreciate all the comments you put on my stuff, especially the ones that go back and forth with these trolls because I don't really have time to do it. Um, so I appreciate you if you uh, if you do comment back and forth with these trolls. But here's what, what this person says. It says, LOL, you're all talk, Mr. Death Penalty for Rape and Other Crimes. You ever heard of the Central Park Five? How many have died or have been hung in the South because one or two biblical gospel patriots accused the N of rape? I think he's saying the N word. I'm not really sure. Remember Emmett Till? Shut your tough Vermont biblical talk up. Heart, 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 heart. Five hearts for the Central Park Five, wrongly accused and vilified for rape. Now, this is a comment. Again, he's a troll. So he's, he's, you know, that's where you get all the vitriol, shut your Vermont, whatever, up, whatever. But he raises a good point because if you execute rapists, then what, it, what about a situation where the person is wrongly accused of rape? And it's a good question. And, and, and I, I'm not making a comment on the Central Park Five. I know nothing about the situation. I, let's just assume that they were all wrongly accused of rape and we could prove it, right? So here's the thing. So if, you, if we were to have executed those people, that would be an injustice. And yes, that's actually true. It would be an injustice. But let me just, let's just stop for a second. Is the fact that somebody could be wrongly accused and maybe even wrongly convicted, does that change what is necessary as far as a punishment is concerned for the crime itself? Think about that for a second. Do you think God could have foreseen that someone could be wrongfully accused? Do you think God took that into account when he gave us his law? Do you think he thought about that? What about if there's two or more malicious witnesses, right? And so somebody gets convicted of a crime that they didn't do because these witnesses are lying. Did God take that into account? And the reality is that God, of course, God took that into account. And there's, there's, there's two ways that you can think about this. Number one, you have to understand that, unfortunately, people are sinners, and we're not going to have perfect justice here on earth. That's not something that we're going to have here on earth. We won't be able to have perfect juries that always make the right decision. We won't be able to have perfect witnesses that never lie, that never make up things. It's not going to happen. But the thing is, the Christian worldview doesn't rely on having perfect justice here on earth. We should pursue justice, of course. We're Christians. We need to pursue justice according to the scriptures. Of course, all that is true, but we cannot expect to have perfection in our justice here. But the Christian worldview does have perfect justice in the long game. In other words, Christ is a perfect judge. And when it comes to eternity, you either pay for your sins or Christ pays for your sins. Either way, they are paid for. And we have perfect justice, you know, cosmically, even if we cannot have it, um, you know, here on earth. And that's not a problem because no system here on earth can have perfect justice, right? Because if you didn't execute a rapist, let's just say that the just penalty for rape is death, and you don't execute a rapist, then you still don't have perfect justice. So there's no system on earth that can be perfectly applied at any given time. It just doesn't work that way. And so this is not a knock against the scripture's um, punishment for rape. The second thing is, the scripture also has a very severe penalty for people that wrongly accuse. A severe penalty for people that wrongly accuse. So severe, in fact, that I believe that if we did what the Bible says we ought to do as a nation, then people would have, there would be much less wrong accusations. 
So in the scripture, so if somebody wrongfully accused accuse the Central Park Five, and they and it, we could prove that they it was actually a false accusation, the person who made the false accusation, they would be the ones to die. They get the penalty that would have happened to the person they were wrongly accusing. So I think that um, it, let's again let's just assume that the Central Park Five didn't do it. I don't even think they would have been accused if the person who did the accusing knew that if they were found out for being a liar, they would be executed. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So in other words, um, we God takes this stuff into account. You just have to apply it all. You have to apply it all in order for it to work. So in other words, we should execute rapists, but we should also execute false accusers. You see what I'm saying? Of rape anyway. And so that's the thing. So, so the Central Park Five, that's not an argument against God's justice. If, jo- if God says the proper punishment for a rapist um, that has two or more witnesses that, that have, you know, credible witnesses that, that convict the person, if he says it's rape, then th- uh, death, then that is the penalty. That's the just penalty. Anything else would just be our own kind of justice, which in, in many ways is no justice at all. So that's the first objection. The second objection this is a much more common objection, um, and, and I, I, I feel it. I feel it because this is, I used to have this very same objection. Let me just read this comment, and this is not a troll, so, so don't go looking for these comments and say, oh, this is a, tro- a troll too. It isn't. This person asked, what verses would you use to, to show that the proper penalty for death, for rape, is death? And I didn't have time to respond, but somebody else respond, responded, Deuteronomy 22. And here's what the comment says. He says, I don't know if AD would use that verse here, which is why I wanted him to offer an answer himself. But let's go with this one to illustrate a point. Let me stop out of the comment for a second. I would actually use Deuteronomy 22. So this is this is going to be totally relevant. Deuteronomy 22 is about betrothed women. What about the virgin in verses 28 and 29? Do we put adulterers to death also? Like it says in Deuteronomy 22, 20, 22 uh, through 24. If not, why not? We want to show love by practicing these commandments, right? Can you see the problem that arises when Old Testament law for Israel is used in a period removed from it? The, um, in the context, of, who gets to pick and choose? I'm not saying action shouldn't be taken against a rapist. I think it's clear that the government has the authority to intervene and cast judgment, and they should. But what's clearer is that since Christ, we have to, the option to provide mercy, whether it is some sort of rehabilitation or provided amount of time for the offender to get right with the Lord before death row. Israel didn't have that option. So this is interesting. And, and, and another person commented on Twitter and said, well, that law has been abolished. So why would we follow that? The Old Testament law has been abolished. Now, now here's the interesting thing because here, here, here first of all, let, let's take the abolished one for a second. This is uh, Ephesians. You know, providentially, we were reading Ephesians in the summer uh, reading challenge, and this is what it says here. It says, "In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that He might create in Himself." one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And that's what this person's referring to, is the law is abolished. But if you read the context of Ephesians, it's talking about um, what, what most Reformed people talk about as the ceremonial law, the law that divides Jew and Gentile, the law that separates the Jews from the Gentiles. It's saying that Christ abolished that in his body, creating one new man. So um, things like circumcision, things like, you know, the... the um, 
the dietary laws, things like, you know, shaving your beard a certain way and things like that. That's what it's talking about. Those are the law expressed in ordinances. You see, you can't forget that last part, the part expressed in ordinances, because uh, Christ didn't abolish the law. In fact, he said specifically, the law in general, he said specifically that he wasn't going to do that in Matthew chapter 5. He says, do not think I have come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Okay, so, so the moral, ethical laws, he did not abolish those. Now, now, Reformed people have an answer as far as the civil law. So one of the things that, that this commenter says is, do you see the problem that arises when Old Testament law for Israel is used for today? And the answer to that question is, no, I don't see the problem with that. Because Reformed people have understood for a very long time that the civil law that he gave to Israel while it does expire with Israel, you know, the, the country, the nation Israel no longer exists, so that law expires with the nation, there's still what we call a general equity, a moral principle, moral guidelines that we have to still apply if we're going to have a just nation. And so it's very easy to see that included in that moral guideline is, you know, if God says it's a crime in Old Testament Israel, then it should be a crime today. If we're going to have a just nation. That's a very easy principle to understand, but it's hard to, it's hard to accept it though, right? Because as, as this commenter says, he says, should we put adulterers to death? Should we put, um, you know, people who commit adultery to death? And, and, you know, the biblical answer to that question, I think is very clear. The answer is yes. Yes, we should. And the thing is, too, that, that if, you, if you don't go with, with God's you know, justice there and you want to go with some other kind of justice, then you really have no argument with that. All you really have is your opinion. Because one of the things about this Mark Charles interview that, that I noticed is that you know, Mark Charles, he's very angry about what happened to his, his people, his, the Native Americans in the, in the United States, and he thinks that the government shouldn't have done what they did. And the thing is, though, that... that if you don't go with God says you shouldn't do this, in other words, it's God's justice, it's God's law, if you don't go with that, then you have to go with, well, I mean, you really just have your opinion. You know, Mark Charles thinks the government shouldn't have uh, taken uh, the Native Americans' land just because Mark Charles thinks it's not very good. I mean, that's not, that's, that's not a good arguing point. You see, the government has a standard by which they're by, by which they're supposed to establish justice. The government has a standard um, uh, to follow, and and that is, as 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 Toby said in the in the interview, they have to kiss the sun, they have to do homage to the sun, they have to bow the knee to the sun. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ gave us the law. He tells us what's right and wrong. He tells us what's just and unjust. He tells us what's a crime and what's not a crime. Jesus tells us all of these things, and all of the nations need to submit to that authority. All of the nations need to submit to Christ's authority. And so the nations don't have the right to say, well, you know, I understand rape is a crime and we should, we should punish it, but what we'll do is we'll give them probation if they rape. Yeah, they'll get probation, you know, they, they just have to behave for a year or something like that. Uh, that's what our penalty, the government has no right to, to do that. Because Christ takes rape so seriously that he says, no, it's the death penalty. It's the death penalty if you rape someone. And so, and so th this is the thing. Like In the social justice conversation, we, we need to talk about the law of God because the law tells us what justice is and what it isn't. 
It's so important to, to, to study and to know the law of God because God tells us what a government should do and what a government should not do. God tells a, the church what the church should do and what the church should not do. God tells individuals what they should do and what they should not do. And so to, to, to this commenter's question, who gets to pick and choose? Nobody gets to pick and choose. What we need to do is submit to Christ. Christ has told us what's what. You see, here's a really simple way to get this. So in the, it, it, you know, if the, it, this is this, look, this is some people will say, well, in the Bible, um, Mark Charles even said this. He said, in the Bible, uh, Jesus says that hating your brother is just like murder. And uh, so therefore, the government would be doing thought crimes. They'd be, and if, you, if, you, if, they, if they could prove you hated someone, they could execute you. And, and, and I, I, think, I know why people think that's an effective argument, but it's not an effective argument. I'm sorry, it's just not. It's just not. Because here's the easy way to kind of look at this. And this might be overly simplistic, but this is an easy kind of rule of thumb. Ready? If the Old Testament code gives us a sin, but does not attach a penalty to it, then it's not a crime. It's not something that the government can come in and punish you for. So a good example of this would be sort of um, not uh, the, the Jews, they were supposed to leave um, certain parts of their field for the poor so the poor could go in and eat them. Eat, 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 you know, freely kind of thing. Um, but if you notice, there's no penalty attached if they didn't do it. So in other words, if there was a, a, a Jew, uh, you know, in, in Bible times and he didn't leave anything for the poor in the field, the government couldn't force him to do it, right? The government couldn't force him to do it. But God would judge the nation for that kind of disobedience. It's the same with us, right? Like we cannot say that the government has the right to take money from us so that we could donate, to, donate it to the poor. Every welfare program is ungodly, unjust, it's evil. The government can't force you to give to the poor. But if you don't give to the poor, God will judge you. You see what I'm saying? So, so that's, a, that's an example of a sin. If there's, if there's a sin in the Bible, but it, there's no penalty attached to it, that's just a sin. And there's not to diminish that. That's a very serious thing. But the government can't get involved. So hate has no civil penalty. Therefore, the government doesn't get involved with hate. There should be no hate crimes, right? That's, that's, that's stupid. That's, that's evil to have something called a hate crime. But if the, if, if, if the law of God gives us a sin with a penalty attached to it, like, for example, rape, the penalty is death. Murder, the penalty is death. Stealing, the penalty is restitution. Things like that. If the government does it, then that's a crime. That's something that a government should consider a crime. So that's a kind of an easy rule of thumb. It's probably over, overly simplistic, but that's how, that's how it works. And, and, and by the way, that same thing kind of goes with, when it comes to deciphering between civil law uh, and, 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 and moral law. Same kind of reasoning, essentially. Again, overly simplistic probably, but um, that's kind of a nice rule of thumb. The other thing that, um, that he says here is that uh, you know, Deuteronomy 22 is about betrothed women, Right? What about what about virgins? What about what about people who aren't betrothed? And the thing is, like, we have to understand too that that the law of God is not exhaustive, so it doesn't give us every circumstance that we could possibly think of. So, for example, like, just because there's no cars in Bible times doesn't mean that we cannot apply what the Bible says about when somebody steals an ox to when somebody steals a car. That's what the general equity is. We look for the principles and we try to apply them as best we can. You see what I mean? So we have to have conversations about these things. And so I would say that we can take the principle for these betrothed women and we can apply it across the board when it comes to actual rape. Anyway, I think I covered everything here. But, but, but here's the point, though, right? Here's the point. If you're Reformed, 
you have to figure out what this general equity of the law of God means when it comes to the civil realm. And if you're going to complain about anything that Trump does or anything that Obama does, but you don't have a consistently biblical standard of what they should do, and it's really just your opinion on what they should do, then you've got to do some soul searching here because why should anybody listen to you? Social justice warriors out there, you have a lot of problems with Trump. But what is your standard but for what he should do? Why should I listen to you? What is the consistent biblical teaching that tells you what a government should do and what a government can't do? We need to rediscover this stuff. And, and I think that really the only thing that makes sense is that applying the general equity of the civil law of Israel. A lot of people think that would be oppressive, but um, I really don't think that Israel was an oppressive place to live. I don't think God offered an oppressive law to Israel. I think that God's commands are reasonable. I think that they make perfect sense. And I think we need to study them in such a way that we understand at the outset that what God says to do, that's good, that's loving, and all of that. I'll also say one last thing. Some people say, well, in, in the New Testament, we have the option for mercy. We have the option to show mercy and rehabilitation and things like that. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't think that's a new thing. We always have had the option for mercy. You know, if, 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 if somebody steals your car, you know, you don't have to go to the authorities, right? If you want to have mercy on them. That, that being said, you know, who has the option for mercy? The state? The state can decide to be, to, to be merciful? That's not what the Bible says. That's not what Paul says in the New Testament. Paul says that the, the, the state is an avenger. Paul says the state is an instrument of wrath, not of mercy and grace. That's what the church is. You see, we need to understand that the church and the state have separate spheres. God gives them separate uh, duties, separate jobs, separate areas of authority. Both are under God, but they have separate areas of authority. So the next time somebody says the state should be merciful, you could tell them, take them right to Romans 13. No, God says the state is an avenger. The church is merciful. Christ is merciful, but the state is an instrument of vengeance. Anyway, I hope that was helpful. I kind of feel like that episode is a little scattered, but I hope it was helpful. God bless. Don't forget to tune in next week on Thursday for AD on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. 